Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service dedicated to elevating great cinema. For your free 30-day trial subscription, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast from FilmStage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today, we have Robin Barr. Hello. All right. Normal. Awesome. We also have... <laughs> Welcome, shitheads. All right. Interesting. And with us today, a special guest to help us talk about Glass Onion, colon, a Knives Out Mystery... It's Tyler Coates. Hello. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here, Tyler. Uh, would you like to take a moment to introduce yourself to the listening audience at home? Sure. Uh, I am the awards editor at The Hollywood Reporter. Um, I've worked Woo. with Robin many times. She writes wonderful things for me often. Um, in fact, I have a gig for her that I'll probably email her about after this podcast recording. So. Oh, <laughs> Not me dancing. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah thank you for having me i feel like i'm one of the special guests at a murder mystery podcast <laughs> and then you're gonna die do you know do you know why you were invited i don't but you know what i am southern so if you need me to slip out some draws i can <laughs> no, i know got, why you was invited stuff yeah yeah wait so robin why why was he invited because said that he loved it when he saw it at, um, was it Toronto? I did, yeah. I saw it at TIFF in yeah. September. And I asked uh, you, like, what your favorite things were, and you said bros and glass onion. And I was like, archive that in my brain. <laughs> Good oh, memory. Wow. You know what's fucking hilarious is I was going to make a joke where it'd be like, and we're a bunch of bros and we're about to talk about glass onion. Because in my mind, there is no movie called bros. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, what a bizarre thing to say. Like, if someone was like, hey, Brian, what are like two of your favorite things? And I was just like, flamingos in the dark night. Like, I don't know. That movie did kind of come and go. Yeah, the yeah. the most that movie got talked about was when its, its star lost his mind talking about why it didn't make any money. Yeah. So... Are we talking about Black Adam? Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the, be- the the best movie conversations this year have revolved around stars talking about why people didn't see their movies. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, I, I don't think anyone said that The Rock didn't say, uh, you know, nobody saw his movie. He was just uh, explaining why it was so successful, obviously. Right. Oh, OK. Yeah. Yes. People dealing with yeah. their delusions is always fun to watch online. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty much what Twitter is all about. Um Anyway, uh, speaking of uh, things that are owned by uh, megalomaniacal billionaires, uh, Glass Onion features one of those i just i just realized that as i said that it sounded like i was about to slander <laughs> ryan johnson oh boy i don't know a... 100 millos to make this movie <laughs> yes a 100 millos that i believe is what was written on the check oh god are these ripe millos or or soon to be ripe 
Yeah, so they're picked just before ripening, but they're actually shipped in a uh, shipping crate that is filled with <laughs> ethylene gas to help them ripen all Excellent. the way. Excellent. Excellent. And there's me. What, you know, what, like, what color are Millos? <laughs> <laughs> it's I'm the thinking fir- yellow. It is the first episode of the new year. We've already gone on like six tangents, and one of them was about the way that like fruit is ripened during international <laughs> shipments. And I just don't. Twenty twenty three is shaping up to be exactly like every year before. Anyway, we're here to talk about Glass Onion and Ives Out Mystery, which is written and directed by Ryan Johnson and features Daniel Craig as the. Uh, I was going to say titular, but he's not titular, as the uh, detective Benoit Blanc returning from uh, the movie Knives Out, of which this is a mystery therein. Before we get into that, all the usual stuff, you can find us on Twitter at Film Stage Show, Facebook, The Film Stage Show. You can email us podcast at filmstage.com. And of course, you can uh, hit us up on uh, iTunes or wherever you catch your podcast to give us a comment or rating. And you can become a patron by going to patreon.com slash the Film Stage Show for as little as $1 an episode. You get access to our Slack channel, where Jordan just gave away a bunch of DVDs and Blu-rays to people, and you could have been a part of that if you only gave us your money. So, again, patreon.com slash Show. We're also talking money, about money, money. A, a man called Otto a weird amount, and I don't, I don't fully understand why it's happening, but I'm not, not opposed to it. Oh, man. If why ever, not? If you ever wanted to see... Tom movie, Hanks! about a man that was named Otto. This is this is the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. We are also brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service that is dedicated to elevating great cinema. Uh, from iconic directors to emerging auteurs, there's always something new to discover. With Mubi, each and every film is hand-selected. It's like your own personal film festival, streaming anytime, anywhere. Um, we are about to talk about an onion made of glass, and the movie film of t- of the day is about a river made of grass. Uh, the film of the day is River of Grass from director Kelly Reichert, and here is Mubi's synopsis. Cozy, a 30-ish Florida housewife bored to tears with her drudging life, runs away with Lee, a young loser in search of thrills. After accidentally shooting a man who hasn't been there, Cozy and Lee try to go on the lam as every outlaw couple before them without quite ever getting it right. So this sounds like a lark. Uh, This is a movie from 1994. So it is almost, oh God, it's almost 30 years old. (sighs) We're all going to die one day, aren't we guys? (laughs) I mean, hopefully. (laughs) I like how our guest said not me and Bill said hopefully, which makes me feel like both of you are in very different places in your life. You know, uh, it's January 3rd. I'm having a really optimistic view of the world right now. We'll see how I feel in two days. I just age like a banana on a sidewalk. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I just think, you know, we're already at the risk of overpopulation. Just imagine if we were immortal on top of that. Jesus, like that would be a nightmare. So, yeah. Less people, more space. That's what I say. All right. Bill Thanos 2024. Um, (laughs) Anyway, uh, you can try Mubi for free for 30 days by going to Mubi.com slash Filmstage. Again, that is M-U-B-I dot com slash Filmstage for a whole month of great cinema for free. Um, so that's that. Uh, it's the new year. How's everyone doing? <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, great. Perfect. <laughs> um, <laughs> just not going to push it. We're here to talk about Glass Onion and Eyes Out Mystery, uh, the follow-up to the smash hit. Was it a surprise hit? I th- I'll just stick with the word smash. The smash hit, Knives Out. Um, this movie only sees the return of Benoit Blanc, but he is here to solve yet another mystery. This movie is written and directed by Ryan Johnson, previously of, of course, Knives Out, but also Star Wars The Last Jedi, Brick, The Brothers Bloom, and uh, I'm missing one. Oh, God. Uh, Looper. This movie stars Daniel Craig. It also stars Janelle Monet, Dave Bautista, Kate Hudson, Edward Norton, Leslie Odom Jr., and Noah Segan. And here is the trailer. Ladies and gentlemen. This is it. You expect it? The mystery. Get your hand off of that. You expected a puzzle. But for one person on this island, this is not a game. All right, that is part of the trailer for Glass Onion. And what I was the hell movie was that? <laughs> I, I don't recognize that film. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't even know how to explain to you everything that was going on in that trailer. Um, this movie is about Benoit Blanc being invited along on an island getaway that a billionaire is throwing for his closest friends. There are mysteries. There are lies. There are betrayals. Maybe even a murder. Let's see what we thought about Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery. We will begin in our non-spoiler section with our guest, Tyler Coates. What are your thoughts on Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery? Yeah, so as Robin mentioned, I saw this in Toronto at TIFF uh, in September. Um, I really loved it. I was not a huge Knives Out fan. I thought the first one was fine. Um, I think part of the reason why this kind of went above and beyond for me is because it was, um, after bros, the first comedy that I've seen in a crowded movie theater in two or three years. And just the energy of, you know, a couple thousand people laughing along in a movie was just like incredible and palpable. And, um, it just brought me a lot of joy. So I also went in not expecting it to be like, you know an Oscar contender, which I guess it sort of is now, which I guess we can talk about uh, later. But um, yeah, I mean, I just, I thought it was really fun and um, enjoyed the mystery of it all. All right. Robin Barr, what are your thoughts? I really wanted to like it a lot more than I did. Um, I enjoyed the first one, you know, a, a fun sort of, you know, snarky caper. Um, and I enjoyed the ensemble of that one. And so, you know, I, I'll probably see the third one too. I mean, just, it's a, it's a vibe that, you know, is uplifting to some degree, you know, it's, it's fun with a capital F. Um, but I struggled with some of the capital Q quirk of this movie. Um, I think it relies a lot on cameos and pop culture references and a lot of 
sort of writerly cleverness that I I just tend to be allergic to, um, especially, you know, like when a, when a movie knows that it's beloved or knows that it it's a part of a franchise that people are going to meme a lot and it goes out of its way to cast like all of these, you know, big names and tiny, tiny parts. I just, it kind of squicks me out a little. Like I just, you know, I don't want this to be a smorgasbord of, Hey, it's Hugh Grant. Like, I just want a real movie um, and not a, a series of wink winks from the director or the producers. So it started to lose me a little bit when those things were happening. And I know people keep talking about Janelle Monet, and I don't get it at all. Like this performance was so annoying to me and I don't understand the critical slash awards love for it. There were just so many things that started to like add up to me that felt like annoyances that were supposed to be joyful. And then I just kind of, maybe it was like a bitch eating crackers thing. Like, <laughs> which we've talked about a lot where like every kind of quirky thing I was just starting to tally up. Robin as like, that's annoying. That's annoying. Crackers. I do. And this movie is eating a lot of crackers. Um, yeah. It just, uh, I don't know. I, I really wanted to like it more. I thought, um, Oh my God, not oh my God. What's her name? I just lost it for a second. Catherine Hahn. Tiny Goldie Hawn. Tiny. You mean Kate Hudson? <laughs> yeah. Kate Hudson. Love her. She thought she was really funny in this. Um, she really reminds me a lot of her mother. And it's kind of crazy that she's like the her mother's age when I loved Goldie Hawn as a child um, because she looks incredibly uh, fit. Um, yeah, she was really good. She's probably the only standout from this cast for me. Um, I just, you know what it is? It's like the same problem I had with the show Community. I don't buy any of these people are friends. And so the more it kept pushing this, uh, well, we'll get into spoilers, but this, you know, apocryphal sort of start to their friendship, the more I kept thinking, none of these people would ever talk to each other. Like, stop bullshitting me. So I'll give it a pass. So this podcast is canceled. We have to talk about the fact that Robin <laughs> doesn't like community. Um, which is going oh, to talk be, about pop culture up its own which asshole. Which is going to be no. a thing that hangs over our friendship from now until I eventually murder you. <laughs> it was good up until season three, like good, you know, like like lowercase oh, g. Okay, well, I mean that's right, fair. That's yeah, but I like I hate it now. Well, that okay it's all for ethos. you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like sorry about your your decisions in a past life. <laughs> what can I say? All right. Anyway, um, who do we got left? Bill Graham. Glass one. All right. Uh, I fucking love this movie Uh, from start to finish. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. It's a great follow up to uh, the first film. It changes just enough to kind of keep you on your toes, keep you on your on edge a little bit. Um, I enjoyed the fact that the twist here really does feel like like a great earned twist and it doesn't feel like it's pulling the rug out from under you. Um, And I feel like everything flows. Everything makes sense. There is some symmetry here and sure. Uh, you know, maybe these people would not be friends, but I honestly don't give a fuck cause, uh, it's hilarious to see them interact with each other. And it does put in to like 
in reality of like that they don't actually hang out with each other all that often and you know all of the stuff you can see that there has been a wedge kind of driven between them um and you know i think it is clever in how it doles out information um and yeah i i think just about everything about this film i really really enjoyed um there's i've seen it twice now i saw it in theaters the first time uh when it went on its week-long release um and then i saw it with some family on uh christmas eve christmas yeah the 23rd i guess um when it first came out on netflix and uh had a blast the second time especially watching their reaction to things uh i think we paused it in the middle at one point and kind of started talking a little bit about it and it was it was fun to kind of sit back and and hear their theories um but yeah this plays well on the big screen it plays well with you know a a small crowd uh if you can gather for watching this on netflix as well so i saw this in theaters i was super excited to see it because i have i've i've loved ryan johnson since brick i um like 2002 i no no brick was like 2004 or 5 wasn't it was it yeah so my recollection of of yeah brick was 2005 so i i the summer before I went to college, I bought probably the constant gardener on DVD. Oh my and, um, God. <laughs> and Sorry. there's, that was more of a reaction than I was expecting from that. You know what? Set. I love a constant gardener. Ref. <laughs> I, you know, a, I, I love a constant gardener. A constant gardener is a great movie. Um, Ugh, fell asleep. Well, that's unfortunate for you. You've proven that you have terrible taste. Um, I have such good taste. You also fall asleep during a weird amount of movies. So, The Constant Gardener. Uh, and I like I watched it, and, I, you know, one of my favorite memories of when I was younger, and I would get a, a DVD that was from an independent studio, is that I get all these cool trailers that weren't just for the movies that are newer coming out, but were, like, for something crazy. Like, we talked about this before. The movie Love Me If You Dare was on like a bunch of my focus features DVDs and Brick was one of them. And when I saw the motherfucking trailer for Brick, I was sitting with my at the time girlfriend and turned it on and Brick played. And she just immediately said, do you want to watch that again? Because <laughs> the the trailer itself was so far up our fucking alley that it was like, let's pause watching the movie that we bought and let's watch the trailer for brick again. And then when I went to college, I showed it to all my friends, you know, like loading up apple trailers.com or whatever and going on the quick time and blah, blah, blah. And then I found out that it was playing in DC. So I went to go see it, um, at landmark East street cinema. And I was fucking smitten clearly. And then, uh, Ryan Johnson was actually there at East street a couple years later to debut the brothers bloom. So I went and saw that and I got his autograph and I talked to him for a bit and it was awesome. Uh, I don't know. Do I have to, is that like a disclosure? Do I have to disclose that I once solicited an autograph from the director of this movie? Anyway, I did that thing. Sick. Yeah. Uh, loved brothers bloom. I, 
like that's a movie that was like oh he's like dipping more towards like twee Wes Anderson-y kind of thing but I still like it I dig it like it wasn't the darkness of Brick and then Looper came out Looper's dark as fuck I loved that and then found out that he was doing a Star Wars movie and I was like oh man like my guy's been taken by Star Wars but then his Star Wars movie was like the best Star Wars movie since Star Wars A New Hope and that was pretty great and then Knives Out, which I assumed was going to be in the darkness again, um, but was actually like a cool, like rollicking comedy kind of thing. And um, I loved it. And then I was super excited to see this. So I went and saw it in the theater. I was like, it's only in theaters for a week. I got to go. And I liked it. It's not, it's probably my least favorite of all of his movies. I'd never call it like <clears throat> bad, but it's definitely. I don't know precisely. I just like it just felt like maybe he didn't sit with it long enough. Like it, it just it didn't strike me in the way that all of his other movies have struck me. It felt a little less visually interesting than most like literally all of his other films. Um I don't know. I just I'm used to him doing some really cool camera stuff and really playing with sound. I constantly think about like the foot chase with Brendan and Brick when he's being attacked by a guy with a knife and you're listening to their shoes clomp and then he like kicks his shoes off so the guy can't hear him coming to like slide tackle him and hitting a pole and everything. And just like there's stuff like again, the trailer for Brick I watched like 400 times before I ever saw the movie because it's just stuffed with all these great what would soon to become like Ryan Johnson moments and camera tricks and stuff. And I was like, this guy's on my level visually it's a noir, so I love that. And everything that he's done has like hit some itch that I've got. And this is the first one where I was kind of watching it and I was like, this is fun, this is clever, I like this, but this is like merely a fine film and not like me coming up and just being like, holy shit, yeah, whoa. And I, I especially compared to Knives Out, I don't think that this is anywhere near that weight class in terms of film. Like, and we can get into it. There are like, I think, structural and character reasons. But I just never felt as compelled by, <laughs> to, to borrow a word from Benoit Blanc, um, this movie didn't compel me in the way that Knives Out did. Um, but I, I still think it's fun. What's odd is that as much as I like rushed out to go see it in the theaters, I think this one, you probably could, you, you probably could and now you have to see it on a streaming service and it wouldn't really lose anything. Um, so yeah, I look I look forward to talking about it though, because it seems like we've got a good little spread going on. Uh, it sounds like everybody freaking loved this movie except me. Did you not just listen to everything that I, I said mean, I, in the last you, yes, five minutes? <laughs> I did, but you were also comparing it to like the weight of a drama when it's not like it's you know of frothy little caper mystery right, but that's like why i like it less than knives out like i think that it okay it, like it it doesn't have the weight of the drama like that's that's my whole problem with it i'm sorry if i didn't express that well enough like this does not comp- compel me in the way that knives out did it doesn't it doesn't have the the deeper implications that a ryan johnson movie usually has like we can get into it when we talk about this versus knives out but like yeah i definitely knives want out to had characters that like I felt very deep, meaningful emotions for and who I like 
rooted for and wanted to succeed and who I honestly still like every, every once in a while, like think about that movie and like walking into this movie, there was a part of it was like, I hope that we get like a clip in the background that lets us know how Marta's doing or something, Mm. you know? And in this movie, I'm just like, I don't know these fucking people. Like, it just—they're all think, obnoxious, right? And I think that there's shitheads. That. Yeah, there. But <laughs> also, what Bill just said uh, ties into something that um, Robin just said, which is I like j- j- in this movie, Janelle Monet is is no Anna de Armas. Like, I that's they're clearly going for a similar character type in terms of narrative and you know audience surrogacy or whatever. And it's just, it's not the same. Like, there there was something very special about that character and that performance, and I, it's just not here. So mm. I will agree with that. Um, and Dave Batista's funny. And, yeah, I don't know. We'll talk about it. So that's that's my thought. Okay. Spoilers. All right. I, I mean, kind of, yeah. It. Like, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's There's not much to say without it. Yeah. This is a mystery movie. We got to talk about the mystery. So those are our basic roundabout thoughts on uh, Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery. Uh, and now we are going to get into uh, spoilers. Uh, so if you haven't seen the movie yet, get the fuck out of here or don't complain when we say how it ends. Um, the first thing I would like to spoil is uh, Edward Norton. <laughs> Where's Tom Cruise's outfit from Magnolia? Mm. I, <laughs> I just watched Magnolia last night. Flies over my head. Wow, that's incredible. Okay, this also explains a lot because I was in the movie theater, like a packed fucking movie theater. This movie, Netflix is an idiot. Should have played in theaters all fucking holiday season long. Yeah, I, I mean, I, like, what? <sighs> anyway. There's also a part of me that wonders, like, everyone's like, oh, Miles Braun is Elon Musk. But, like, there's another part of me that's like, is it also Reed Hastings? Um, but anyway, It can I was, be a hundred people. It could like, be uh, so I mean, he, he wrote this a couple of years ago. Like, oh, he yeah. didn't he didn't just, like, create this now. So, 100%. yeah, I mean, its relevance is just by accident that <laughs> shitheads are shitheads. Yeah, so. it's, it's one of those things where it's like, I don't know, like, it's a timeless story of these people are usually morons. Um but yeah, I was in the movie theater and when Edward Norton shows up in flashback dressed like Tom Cruise from his seduce and destroy uh, seminar in Magnolia, I I just um, I lost my fucking mind. I started laughing and like I was the only one in a full theater and um, I felt I didn't care, actually. No, I was like, it sucks that none of you get this. I, I mean, you know. Sometimes you gotta you gotta have one for the for the true heads. Yes, absolutely. All right, so let's let's uh, let's pit and not two, the shitheads. Let's, let's yeah, let's not pit, the shitheads, the true heads. <laughs> let's pit two friends against each other. Um, Tyler, what do you think about everything that Robin Barr just said? She's a dumb uh, bitch. Yeah, God, <laughs> dumb. Uh, no, I mean, look, I mean, I, I I did not go into the and even you, Brian, I did not go into this like with the high expectations that would blow my mind, I went in being like, okay, the first one was fun. This is clearly going to be an audience pleaser. They picked Tiff on purpose. It's like the most like, you know, like audience, like popcorn friendly film festival. I really like Janelle Monae and I walked out of it being like, okay, she's the best supporting actress nominee. (gasps) Um, I think, 
what I liked about You're her, moving the needle in a way I don't like. Sorry. With your, with your Hollywood power. Yes, the power that I employ. Gosh, I can make or break <laughs> careers. Um, really only Robbins. That's the only power I have. <laughs> That's true. Um, but no, I, I really liked her. I thought, I think what I love about the character is that, spoiler, obviously, she's playing two different characters in a way. Uh, I mean, I guess really she's playing one character who is pretending to be someone else. Well, in uh, flashback, she's playing the other one. Yeah, not she's not like delivering lines as both sisters, really. She's really only playing. Uh, God, I now. Well, I mean, she is in the flashback. Actually, yeah, Helen. Helen is the character that she's playing, whose yeah. twin sister and Andy, Andy is the the dead one. It had just recently died, unbeknownst to most of the other characters in the film. Uh, died I thought that, suicide, or did she? Or did she? Maybe murder. Um, one of a couple possible murders. Um, how many murders? That's the real question. answers, too. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, I really loved, I just loved the heel change in the middle. I appreciated the completely over the top southern accent, putting, uh, <laughs> putting Daniel Craig, uh, like, I don't know, giving him higher stakes with his own insane southern accent. Um, I just thought that was really clever. And I think I also, I think the structure of the film going into it, not being like, okay, we have to figure out who killed this person. I like that. It it really takes a while to set up what the actual mystery is, what the whodunit is. And instead you just get to watch these really incredible comic actors work together in a way that's just, I don't know, just delightful. And I do think Kate Hudson is truly incredible really exceeded my expectations um and it's so funny what a return to form for kate hudson mm-hmm. dave Bautista, yeah. though i feel like is showing i don't know he might be the best of our working wrestler actors right now i think he is really? I, I really liked dave Bautista. i mean like i liked him in guardians i don't fucking love the guardians but like right, his yeah. deliveries are good um he's, yeah, he's making dune <laughs> Yeah, he's he's yeah, great true. in Dune. Um, good presence in Dune. He's he's got uh, another Denis Villeneuve movie, uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine, makes mm-hmm. a very big impression in a very small role. Like somehow, somehow turns his size and clear strength into like an almost vulnerability. It's like it's incredible. Um, I haven't seen some of his other stuff. Wasn't he in like a zombie movie or something? But like a sad one. Uh, I mean, he was in Army of yeah, but that's not a, the Vegas one. Movie, but yeah. yeah, he wasn't. Um, he wasn't. I don't remember him even a little bit in Army of the. He was like the main character, wasn't he? He was one of them. Yeah, I just don't remember Army of the Dead that much. I'm pretty sure I watched that movie drunk. Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> like drunk <laughs> on a beach. It was the perfect way to watch it. I remember it being fun. Um, no, I thought I. I don't know. I'd have to look. For, oh, is this it? Is it Bushwick? Maybe it wasn't a zombie movie. Oh, it, that's military a force. Oh, when yeah. a U.S.-based military force invades their Brooklyn neighborhood, I think this is what I'm thinking of because it's him and a girl, right? Yeah. Interesting. War veteran must depend on each other's survival. What is the concept of this movie? Anyway, I'm sure he was great in that too. I'm sorry. I think I was thinking of the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie where his daughter was bitten by a zombie. Oh, yeah. May? No, that, was that it? No. 
No, that wasn't called May, but I, I know what you're talking about. No, May was the movie was... made by Lucky McKee, who is a friend of Ryan Johnson. I don't know. I don't know what's it, happening. I thought it was Army of the Dead. Didn't we see him in that? Yeah, you know, that's I was mixing up things. I knew that Dave Batista was in a movie where he had to help a, a woman that was younger than him survive, and it was like sad and low budge. And I mixed it up <laughs> with the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie where his daughter gets bitten by a zombie. So don't pay attention to me, everyone. I have no idea what I'm talking about. Oh, don't worry. Nope. I never do. Lost okay. the thread. Yep, the thread was lost. Never to return again. Okay. Anyway, what were we talking about? Dave Batista's great. Uh, Dave, yeah, Dave Batista is really Adam great. Junior has a lot to do in this movie. No, I do think he was kind of a weak link here. Yeah. 100%. I mean, uh, th- that's going to happen when you have a slight film like this and so many cast of characters. Um, but yeah, I agree that he doesn't have too much. This movie runs just over two hours. It's, it looks like it's just shy of 220. Um, or sorry. Yeah. 220? Yes, 220. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, there's a lot of people to introduce uh, here. And it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of, of some of the characters from the first Knives Out movie um, where, you know, they they have to kind of play a little bit uh, broad or a little bit, uh, you know, kind of cliche and stuff like that. Um, but overall, I, I still really enjoyed just about every single performance here. But yeah, I do feel like Leslie uh, Odom and maybe Catherine Hahn are kind of a little bit less, uh, a little bit underwritten at times. Um, But other than that, I think everybody has just really great turns. I think they're supposed to be kind of the, the two people that are the straight men um, a little bit here. And everybody else is just kind of wild and kooky and crazy, including Hudson and Batista and, you know, uh, the girl that plays whiskey. Um, so <laughs> what, are you, what are you laughing about? Just, I actually like that character. She's she's great, and like, like, I I love that when we find out that you know Janelle Monae is is playing, you know, uh, gallivanting as her sister, um, her dead twin sister. um, We do get that whiskey revelation that like, oh, she can actually hold like a conversation, and she's not, you know, this bubbly blonde kind of personality that you would kind of expect her to be. Um, and you know, even, even to the point where she's like, Oh yeah, like I'm doing this because Dave Batista has a lot of online social media presence. So, you know, it's a good way to kind of further my potential political career, but he's maybe going in an area that I don't want to. <laughs> so, you know, uh, to to all of that, I I would just simply point at Trump and go, well, but you know, so there's that too. Um, I still think this guy is a lot more intelligent. Who? Like the character? You think Dave Batista in this movie is more intelligent? I think than Trump his in character, uh, in some respects, like. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, I, I would go with that. I'm not saying that. I'm saying her being scared that this may dump her political career. I would just point at Trump and go, "Yeah, I, I you well, know." I think so. You know, I don't know. We like we could go into like who are the real world analogs here, but like there's there's between Trump and like. 
Oh, I can't even say this anymore because he he ate dinner at Mar-a-Lago. I was gonna say what's his fuck Nick Fuentes or like one of like the Man Sphere blogger asshole dudes. Little... Yeah, because I don't think Donald Trump truly gives a shit about that. Like and talks about it. Like I don't know. Like there's there is one hundred percent a difference between Donald J Trump and like a a Twitch streamer who talks about. What was it? The breastification of America? <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. Like, I do think that a lot of these uh, trolls or whatever you want to call them actually have like an I like, what am I trying to say? They actually have quote unquote principles of what their ideals are, right? I don't think that has ever been a part of Trumpism. Trumpism is about telling somebody to like, fuck off. It's not actually spouting anything you know built on your own personal values i don't know that i would agree with that do you know a lot of trumpers uh i mean i don't know there's the fucking 75 million people voted for him i'm bound to know a couple yeah like because <laughs> I, mean, like, so like, I do know quite a few right and it's never really been about the talking points well, I think so. I so here's one of the things that I'll say about conservative voters versus Democratic voters is conservative voters don't give a fuck who the candidate is. Um, they just need it not to be a Democrat, and they usually have one or two issues that are very important to them. And so, as long as they know that that person will not vote in opposition to those things, they don't care. So, you know. It's it's easy for a politician to appeal to those things as long as they are not like, I don't know. <laughs> it's it's just it's weird to say that it has nothing to do with like any kind of actual like morality or or uh, like foundational values because like that's all there is. Like but, a Democrat will get aren't... turned off of their candidate because the candidate uses the wrong intersectional title for something and a conservative won't give a shit because they know the personal vote against abortion. Like there is a difference between Trumpers and conservatives. Huge difference. Trumpism is not really about conservatism. Okay. But the thing like you're you like there's what is, I don't I think because know I know, actually, I know conservatives. I know Trumpers. It's about sticking it to the man but it's that's about, more alt righty than than whatever the heck Trumpism. Trumpism is just like I'm Donald Trump and I would like to be president again. Like alt right yeah, is like we're going to troll the libs. We're completely reactionary. There's a difference between alt right and conservatism. Yes, there is. Yeah, but you're Trumpism but you're allows like, for the worst behavior of conservatism, right? Like he he was giving permission to like be, you know, to say what we're not supposed to say or something like that. I think you know? it's like an unapologetic thing. Yeah. Like we, we, it, it's definitely like we've crossed a Rubicon where it's like, usually you'd have yeah. to be like, look, I know we disagree, but this is what I feel. And tr- like, if Trump injected anything into that, it was these people think that we're not as smart or caring or whatever as them. So fuck those guys. And like, that was something that was like an undercurrent, on the left that became full on text on the right after like 20 years of culture wars. And so like, yeah, I would say that that exists, but like, if you're talking about people who are just trying to, you know, stir up some nonsense, I think that that is outside of 
Trumpism and that's more like all right like that's more like mm. oh god Mayo Yiannopoulos like <laughs> that's I I don't think that there's a I don't think that there's a big gap between that and people who are pro-Trump in some way I think there's definitely an overlap but an overlap but what I'm saying is like that that's still part of the same sort of milieu and that's different from like your Ron DeSantis conservatism. Yes. Well, yeah, because I mean, you know, well, Trump is picking fights with everyone. So I was like, well, you know, Trump and Ron DeSantis. I think don't this get goes beyond stuff. Trump at this point. Like, I, I would almost describe it as a movement that has little to do with the man himself at this point. I would say, yeah, because like with, like with any movement, like when you realize that like there's a profit to be made, like that's what you're going to do. Like, I don't know if Dave Batista in this movie believes anything that he's saying. And I think Whiskey makes it very clear that she doesn't because she's mm-hmm. like, yeah, he's really taking like a hard turn in that whole manosphere. Ma- what mandum, I think, is what she calls it. Um, <laughs> And like, you know, that is like great for becoming like, you know, popular very quickly and making a lot of money. But like I have political aspirations so I can't be like a part of that because that doesn't lead to politics. Like, which I I I appreciate that they gave her that shading. She is like the only character I think that gets that level of shading. And I think what's what's weird about this movie when compared to like Knives Out, which involved a lot of of people who definitely voted for Trump, who I think were given more shading and grace in the last movie. And like, maybe this movie is just like coming from a pen filled with curdled ink after like another couple years of that. Um, is that in that movie, like they were, they were given that shading. Like they had that conversation about, you know, illegal immigrants and stuff that Marta was uncomfortably made a part of. <laughs> and in this movie, you just get birdie being like, I thought that a sweatshop was where they made sweats and you get Dave Batista talking about the boobification of America, which I I can't even remember if that's what he called it. Um, it, it this, this movie was just, everyone was a little flatter. Um, someone on Twitter, I think, said that the first part of this movie was like an Adam McKay film. I wouldn't go that far. I think, I think Ryan Johnson doesn't hate these characters enough for it to be an Adam McKay film. And he definitely doesn't hate his audience enough for it to be an Adam McKay film. But it's definitely lacking in a little bit of the nuance that you might expect of it. If you expect nuance, <laughs> which I <don't> <laughs> but how I don't know, like Tyler, this is interesting to me because like how could you watch any of Ryan Johnson's other movies and like not expect some other form of nuance? He's the guy who every he pissed off a bunch of Star Wars people because he was like, oh, they're selling weapons to the rebels too, and they were like, oh my god, you can't make our heroes morally compromised. Like Ryan Johnson does not the the whole point of Looper is that the hero as an old man is trying to murder a child, like. <laughs> There's a lot going well, part on. Part of it, I will admit, having not seen Looper or Rick or the Brothers Plume and only <laughs> having seen uh, Star Wars, which, you know, is of the main trilogies, is my favorite Star Wars. I'm not a Star Wars fan, but I loved his just yeah. the way it looked. And again, like I thought Knives Out was fun and like, you know, inheriting what makes Clue brilliant. <laughs> and, you know, I, I maybe what I appreciated from this movie was like, it is more of a cartoon and it is more like a sitcom. I mean, like Robin talking about like how the friends don't 
like obviously they would never hang out together which they don't really like their their connections are all tenuous and you know by the end of the film you sort of understand that like miles is basically buying their loyalty or blackmailing Mm -hmm. loyalty um but i also didn't care about you know i don't watch a sitcom i mean the whole point of a sitcom really is like forcing people who are going to have a lot of conflict and like making sure that they're together in perpetuity and then they never change. <laughs> so I think that that's what I kind of loved about this was that it was, it felt like a fresh departure from like taking, like, I don't know, being so obviously satirical at our times while also being set like very specifically in the pandemic. And I, in a way that I thought was pretty clever. Oh, see, I um, hated that. Um, yeah, that fucking annoyed the hell out of me. I don't. I don't even know why. I I watched three thousand years of longing. Well, I did the the pandemic thing, like having it having it reference the pandemic, which That's I know so weird. plays into why the Mona Lisa is there. But like I mean, a, yeah. lot of the, a lot of the gags are sort of required. Like that's why he's zooming with Angela Lansbury and Stephen Sondheim and and Karim yep. Abdul-Jabbar. Like that's you know no one did that before. The pandemic, you I know, mean, I think. I mean, you did if you you worked remote like I did. I, well, not with Kareem sure, Abdul-Jabbar, no, but okay, definitely with Angela Lansbury. I mean, yeah. uh, also, okay. we're on a Hi, podcast no, that we've hipster. been on for ten years. Um, so, like, <laughs> yeah, it was Skype before, definitely not Zoom. Yeah, Skype. Was That's there. true. Um, Skype for news. But I, you know, I think what it does, like, it sets up like you know a pretty quick MacGuffin that's just like, okay, this is set in a COVID present world but we don't have to rely on it like we don't have to rely on masks with this one very simple plot point in the beginning um and it's sort of i think it also is like part it explains part of the reason why everyone's been separated from each other um not just because of like maybe their own personal i don't know disdain for one another but you know you don't figure that out until later you kind of get the sense that like oh he's bringing all of his friends back together after like this thing that we're all experiencing which sucked um i think it's another it also also gives us a great introduction to each one of them as they arrive on that boat dock in the in the opening sequence where you see like kate hudson wearing a mask that's literally just like you know it netting and you're just like okay you know it's like slipping down below her nose like it's so Mm -hmm. i feel like he caught like that is a thing where he's like he's really he's i think that's the sort of brilliant thing is that he's not harboring a lot of time to deal with the pandemic but like he's using that time very wisely and like i still i still understand why like you spend any time on it like i don't it just like these people get together every year. Like this, they 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 point they point that out. They say that. Like, we well, yeah, again, time. I think it's, always... it's about it's about world building. It's about character building too. I mean, the fact that like we in, we're introduced to Kate Hudson having a huge party with her pod, um, and you know, I think mm-hmm. it's just like it's it is. I think a device that I think sets up the worlds and also makes it clear. You know, if it's a sequel to Knives Out, or at least it's a continuation of of. Blanc's story, which took place in late 2019, you know, he could have ignored the pandemic entirely, which wouldn't have been in any way honest, especially when he's he's sort of satirizing, you know, our current world right now and the way that tech 
tech I mean, is like but overwhelming. like once they're on the island i don't think the pandemic again aside from the mona lisa being there really has anything to do with it so why are you hung up on it because why is it there in the beginning in the first place like i and I, i'm not really hung up on it but we're, we're talking about it and i'd like to be a part of the conversation and um yeah, I don't know. Well, like, you, you, just, you you said it annoyed the hell out of you. It did. I, I like I open up the movie and like there it is, and it's like it's pandemic, and then it's not even like like they just have they have Ethan Hawke show up with a gun. Um, <laughs> I don't know why that made me laugh. They had Ethan Hawke show up with like a medical device to like shoot a thing into the back of their throats, and then they're like, okay, cool, we can like get over that now. So it's yeah. not even. It's like that's it. And it, like I laughed in the theater, but like walking out, I was like, well, now I just. Like what? Why? Like what was the point of that? Like what was the? I mean, it shows, it shows how how rich and powerful Miles Braun is that he has access to healthcare that normal people don't. Right, which but is, like so yeah, does him living on an island. <laughs> like, sure, but he's inviting his friends. Like he can't. You know, I mean, again, it's like yeah. Th- there's no. There's no. There, there's no quarantine needed. No nothing like that. You you take this little shot in the back of your throat, which hilariously makes every single one of them cough um and like gag a little bit daniel craig which is again like a nod to who he is as a character Mm -hmm. um and yeah i I think i think it's i think it's a great setup and i enjoy like we get we get introduced to each one of them like living in their little sectors and like having to interact through this way. It also gives us this great chance to see them each solve the puzzle box as kind of a group, right? As this kind of group effort. And each time they call, they add like a little, a new little, like there's a lot of like little visual touches like that on the pandemic. Why wouldn't it? Because none of them live in the same house? Like, I don't understand your question. Why wouldn't he just send one box and have everybody come? Because who the fuck does that to invite someone to a party? I don't send an invite to a daughter's, <laughs> my daughter's friend and then say, hey, by the way, can you share this card with everyone else in the first grade? Sure, but you're also not a multimillionaire right. that owns so a private island. So if I was a multimillionaire, I'd send out even more invitations. Like, there's no reason... <laughs> I don't know. I, don't know. I mean, it is more I, cinematic I, I, to do it this way. Right. I, yeah. But like, again, none of that depends on the pandemic being there. I don't know. It's it's unimportant because, again, at a certain point, once they're on the island, it ceases to be a consideration even a little bit. I mean, even even with the, the murder of, of, of Andy, like all of them just like immediately run to her house maskless and like hang out with each other. I mean, when Edward Norton goes to fucking murder her. They're just chilling in her kitchen, not social distancing. He's close enough to slip poison into her drink. They're not wearing masks. It's like, and she died like last week. <laughs> well, I, I do think this is set in March, right? So yeah, May. Uh, May, May, May 2020. So like it's, it's just on the edge of it happening. But yeah, Andy did die not that long ago. But also Andy and uh, Miles are like close friends. I don't like I don't know about you, Brian, but a lot of times when, you know, things were first kind of happening, it wasn't like, oh, close friends, like I got to mask up. It wasn't until like a couple of months later that like I really felt like, 
you know, there was social and societal pressure, but also like it just seemed smarter to just kind of be safe. And at first it was like, oh, we, you know, we locked down for two months or a month and everything's fine now. And then it just kept spiraling out of control. So I don't know. I mean, I, I, I feel like we've dedicated a decent amount and I don't think we're going to convince you that this is a, a necessary thing. And I think we all seem to enjoy it. Yeah. But I think it's completely necessary and I loved it and I enjoyed all of that. I, I like that. Ethan Hawk gag is so good to me. Like I love that. And, and also, like I mentioned, you know, the Kate, Hudson walking up in the in the you know mask that's not a mask I just I love those little character details I love that uh you know uh Duke just rides up on a motorcycle um and it's not even him firing the the gun I think it's uh actually whiskey uh which is hilarious as well but yeah both of them are just completely unmasked giving giving out all these bear hugs and stuff like that and yeah I I just I love a lot of that stuff um I think it's great I think it's a great way to set it up uh all of these people are itching to kind of spend time with each other right going back to kind of what uh, Robin was talking about how she doesn't believe that these people are actually friends. And it's like, finally they get to like interact with other people outside of their, you know, specific bubble, which, you know, is, is encouragement enough for a lot of these people to just be like, Oh fuck. Yeah. Like, hell yeah. It's, it's time to get together again. So, so, but anyways, can I just come out as team. I don't care. Like, sure. It, you can it be did that. nothing for me but it also didn't make me mad i was just like this is what it is okay here's the setup there are other stories where i kind of feel like ugh, this again with the with you know covid storytelling or things that i'm like oh well if it if it had only been a little more realistic then i would have appreciated it um but in this it just didn't even register to me i actually almost didn't even understand the the whole vaccination thing at first. Cause it was just like, what are they doing here? Like, yeah, I, it, I didn't do, realize it doesn't it was a make period sense. piece. Oh, <laughs> uh, gotcha. It, it, that's why I, I kind of almost agree with Brian just because I don't understand uh, narrative wise, why it was so important, but I agree with Bill in the sense that some of the gags, you know, were cute. I just she feel said Robin humorously. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, sometimes I love cute shit, and sometimes it just really rubs me the wrong way. I mean, that's that's okay. that's fair. I mean, you know, every once in a while, you look at a baby panda, and you're like, "Fuck you, panda." Yeah, sometimes I look at like a waterfall, way. and I'm just like, "Eh." Ugh. Fuck a waterfall. Water. But I will say, so, you know, I I think my major issue with the movie is that in, in Knives Out, we are following almost from the beginning a character who we have a real investment in her victory. We understand the stakes for her and we like her and she's like, the seemingly only nice person on the entire screen, but everyone else around her is, is cartoon ish without being a cartoon. And we follow her and we are watching everything from her perspective. 
And Benoit Blanc is like this cool, almost like tertiary character on the outskirts that's more of like a foil for her journey than anything else. Or even a potential villain. Right, because like the well, yeah, I don't have to be coy about it. We're talking about a knives out mystery, so I'm I'm gonna spoil knives out. Yeah, but like we are introduced and we're like, ah, the great Benoit Blanc, he's going to solve this mystery. And then we discover that the reason that this man is is dead by possible suicide is that this woman uh messed up uh giving him some medication. And so now we're like, oh no. He actually well, didn't. Well, yes, but that we don't know that at the yeah. outset. So for the for the entire well, well, spoilers. Movie, <laughs> I already said spoilers. So for the entirety yeah. of the movie, we're sitting there like, oh man, I hope Anadarmus gets out of this one. And like we know that she is physically unable to tell the, a lie, which is funny. Um and so we're we're there basically like I don't want the I don't want the detective to succeed, which to me is insanity because I love detective movies and I want detectives to succeed. But I also really like Marta. And so I'm I'm rooting against my own interests. I'm hoping that they somehow all come out of this okay. I'm I'm seeing things through her perspective and I'm like earnestly invested in her getting that money <laughs> and not not getting caught. And then the best part is that at the end of the the movie, it's Benoit Blanc, who it turns out has been on her side this entire time, who shows everyone the truth and helps to set everything right. And it's awesome. And in this movie, I don't like it just felt misbalanced. It it almost uh, I'm going to hate saying this out loud. It almost felt like in the second Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Where right, they were like, hey, Jack Sparrow, all the time, fucking mm-hmm. A plus main character this time. And you're it just like, yeah, the movie itself. Yeah, a little bit. Itself. Mm-hmm. A little bit, because we're not. And like, I, I like the structure of this movie academically. Like, you know, it's it's cool to like go through it thinking one thing and then see like the real thing. Like, but it it's not as emotionally satisfying as Knives Out was. What we're talking about this more, I think I really might have liked this movie less than I thought I did. I don't think Benoit Blanc. I don't think Benoit Blanc is on the side of Marta. I think he's on the side of truth, and it's not until the the revelation that he realizes that he can save Marta from herself because she's going to martyr herself in that film. Um, I watched this not that long before I watched uh, uh, the second one, uh, Glass Onion, um, when over the Christmas break. And so I watched it like two days before I watched Glass Onion. So having seen it recently, I was struck by a lot of he's just kind of a bystander in a lot of that. In fact, at, at some point he kind of arrests her. Um, you know, I mean, he leads the charge to get her arrested. Um, so, you know, I don't think he's on her side. I think he's just on the side of truth and that's what he's always trying to figure out. Right. But the um, truth is also on Marta's side. So sure. It ultimately ends up that way, but I mean, the way you posited it was that he's on her side, and I don't think that's true at all. Well, I mean, you learn that he knew that she was involved with the murder through the whole movie because there's a spot of blood on her shoe. Involved, but, you know, pointedly, he doesn't he doesn't ask her any of that incriminating stuff because, you know, he's he wants to utilize her inability to lie to also flesh out the rest of the story. 
which ends up saving her right um but yeah i mean and and it's not until the very end that that he realizes that she actually didn't do anything wrong right um she just made a tragic mistake um so yeah um but but so do you do you feel like this movie has a character that you follow along in in this similar way like did you feel as invested helen definitely not gonna ask tyler because tyler walked into this movie expecting nothing (laughs) <laughs> yeah I, I think i think it's i think it's andy's character like it's, it's helen you care like you don't even know that helen exists until like an hour into the movie sure sure but that's why i in this movie who i am rooting for is benoit blanc right and that's i'm but i i think that that's the problem so like we agree about that fact but you don't have an issue with it no, because I enjoy Benoit Blanc trying to unravel what is happening and trying to figure out whether this is an actual like stupid murder mystery party that that Miles is throwing or if this is actually like someone someone was dying. Like I, I thought I thought he that was the that initial. Right. Yeah, that's that's the thing. The the, uh, the twisty fugue like nature of this movie, which we can all thank yes. Ma for telling us. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So I enjoyed that twist. And once I found that twist, everything started to settle into place. You start to realize why Benoit's acting the way he is. He's, he's acting very strange and very standoffish, especially compared to the first film where he kind of takes charge at a certain point. Um, this one, it's not until the murder mystery party thing where he just kind of oversteps his bounds a little bit and is like, well, I already solved the mystery and you know the whole night seems kind of ruined um but yeah i i understand that he is a lot to kind of uh have as a larger focus and a larger part of this film um but i also think it may be because of the structure that y'all are kind of keying in on it on it so much because I do think he's a large part of the first film as well. Um, it's just you're so enthralled in the mystery of what is happening that it's not as noticeable that he's such a large part of that because everything else is kind of falling into place. We're meeting new characters. We meeting new reasons right um all of all of the first film is like oh yeah everybody's like so rich and everybody's made their own money and then you realize very quickly like no everybody is funded by one person which is kind of a similar structure here right where everybody kind of has their knives you know out you know uh yeah (laughs) thank you uh has their knives out as a potential right as motive um everybody kind of hates miles because he's got them tied you know by the balls basically all of them um figuratively or literally you know yeah and they um, have a lot to lose they have they have power to lose as opposed yeah. to the family in the first film losing their money um mm-hmm. it's a little bit more it's a, i think it's and i think that also like that's why it's set when it is because i don't think that you can make a film about these people and what they represent without having it set when it is 
Can you okay. expand on I wanna... that? Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Well, no, no I would like no, no, to. No, 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 Tyler, I would like to hear from you. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we've, we've talked about the pandemic of it all, but I also think like, I think that these characters are very much archetypes that have kind of come into the popular culture. I wouldn't even say popular culture, but American culture, I would say, in the last four years or so since 2020. Um, I guess it's only been three years, two years, I guess, if we're doing math. Um, But, you know, so I feel like it would be, you know, it would be even more dishonest to not have it set amid a world where these people are like actually present, you know, like an Elon Musk type, uh, a presumably progressive politician who's taking, you know, evil tech money, you know, you know, a men's right activist who understands that like he can capitalize on like fame by being a, a chauvinist and misogynist, like those sorts of things. And so, uh, and I and I think that the power that they lose is more interesting to me than like an inheritance because like it requires them to keep like an allegiance to this person that they're not related to, this person that they knew once in their life who maintains control over them entirely. I guess I'm curious as to why those you think those people only existed post pandemic. No, but I think the version that we see of that kind of like celebrity is a very like I would say post 2016 for sure. Yeah. I mean yeah. well yes. And but like, yeah. again, but, I don't think I think it would be silly for him to have like for Ryan Johnson him to like make this a prequel kind of story. I think it makes sense for it, you know, it's not a sequel. He said it's not a sequel. It exists on its own, but you know, I think it makes sense for it to take place after we've seen you know Blanc's reputation in the first film like he has this incredible reputation as a as someone who can solve a mystery as a detective and we've seen that and obviously he you know these characters are aware of him too and so i think it just like it it, that's why it works for me uh in the sequence maybe and i also think that like that's why it's interesting that he's more of a main character than a participant like or maybe he is a participant because in the first movie he's coming he's coming in like to solve a murder with the cops. And this one, he, you know, we don't find out obviously that it's a red herring, but he's sort of an active participant in what we all are going into kind of blindly. Um, he just happens to have a secret that they're hiding from the audience. Mm-hmm. So Robin, what were so, you going to say? Well, I, I was going to sort of expand on, on this idea of um, the satire Tyler, that you're bringing up, because I totally agree with you that this these sets of celebrities or rich people or famous people are definitely, you know, of the current zeitgeist or at least of, you know, the last half decade. And I think that's probably one of the reasons I felt a separation from it. Um, Like, I think somebody mentioned, maybe it was you, Brian, like this the stakes are bigger in this film because the world has expanded quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, the world of, of knives out, but it is less intimate. And thus I maybe cared less about the characters because I just saw them as sort of like, you know, flibberty gibbets, just being annoying assholes. And I didn't care what happened to any one of them. And I know that's the point of Janelle Mo- Monet's character, but at the same time, it it's so affected. And so, 
I don't know, like soap operatic in a way that maybe I didn't think the Knives Out first movie was that it just kind of threw me off. Like, I love soap operas. I love melodramas. That stuff does not bother me. I think it often works in like Pedro Almodovar movies. Um, I love trashy novels. So so those tropes, you know, I'm fine with them. But the way Ryan Johnson wrangles this movie or this franchise into something that, that is just like so huge that he almost doesn't have control over it anymore. That just kind of lost me. Like when you have somebody, well, spoilers, burning down the Mona Lisa, where do you go from there? Like I recently just watched the show that, uh, how do I describe this? Like it's, has anybody seen Hunters? Does anybody know about that? I'm aware of Hunters, right? That's the one where like they're hunting on Nazis. Yes, it's about Nazi hunters. It's very in the vein of like exploitation films mm-hmm. slash, um, you know, like whatever um, Tarantino's movie. Yeah, whatever Quentin Tarantino does, like, is very much in that vein. Maybe like a like a cheap Tarantino. And spoiler, major spoilers for Hunters. If you have not seen it, turn this off right now. Uh, the end of that first season, you find out that Hitler's still alive, and you're like, "OMG! No, we got to hunt Hitler." And then the second, and then it's just like, where do you go from there? I guess like, you got to hunt Hitler. They, do they hunt Hitler? They do, um, and they only have one more season left. Oh my yeah, god! Yeah, they have god. one more season to hunt Hitler. I, I, I've previewed it. Um, I have to ask. I have to ask. <laughs> is he in Antarctica? I can't say anything because I can't, you know, talk about the second season. But I just kind of question. This is great podcasting. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna as, as a as, as the local conspiracy theorist, I'm gonna say he's in Antarctica. Excellent. Okay, cool. this is not about where fucking Hitler is. What I'm saying it should is, be Robin Hitler's on the loose, and you don't think we need to find him? <laughs> I'm just saying, once you go as big as we gotta hunt Hitler, do you think that a season of television can contain that? Like, like there's just there's no more. Well, there's no place to go from there. I don't know. Is it, so, What does this know, have to do with this film? Well, okay, so I, what I, I'm saying is when you burn down the Mona Lisa, how can you go anywhere? Right, what the but, fuck's going to be the next thing? Like, it's one of the reasons that serious, I... Unless they go back in time with fucking dinosaurs, <laughs> where else is there to go? First of all, I think you can say Hitler is alive and we're going to hunt Hitler and still hunt Hitler and it's fine because Hitler was a Nazi. You're still within the lane. And now I'm more interested than ever about watching Hunters. Um, I I do, however, agree with Robin on this. I the the first movie, you know, uh, what's his name? Thromby is dead, and like I'm sure that's national news. He was a very famous author, and it's like you know when Stephen King dies, fucking people are gonna be all over Twitter talking about how it changed their lives. Um, but like the the end result of that doesn't feel like it's gonna irreparably change our national conversation or like you know history right hold on the, can, can, can can i ask a question real quick i almost did anybody no. <laughs> did anybody else hear what tyler said that ryan johnson has said that this is not a sequel that this is just another yes. film yes it's so, another film so, in the franchise so so the Mona Lisa didn't burn. 
What are the fuck? What the fucking shit are you goddamn talking about, Bill? <laughs> I think it's pretty fucking obvious, but you that, like, if, if, you, if you need me to spoil it, yes. That's the stupidest wait, thing no, you've they, ever said on this wait, podcast. Wait, what did you say? I didn't hear. What Bill you- is saying that, that the entire universe resets movie to movie so that in the next one, even though it might be like set in like 2023, the Mona Lisa in that reality will not have burned up. Whoa, that is no, dumb. I don't think that's <laughs> that's that's what I'm no, Bill. No, why not? Because that's every every Tyler Tyler is ostensibly on Bill's side, so let's let Tyler answer. What <laughs> no, I'm not on the side. I, I think that the Mona Lisa burned, yes, and I, I'm fine with that. You know what? It's overrated anyway. You oh, go to the shit. Louvre, you can't even see it. You gotta, you can't even stand there. All those people who gives a shit. <laughs> I you know what? <laughs> I've never been to the Louvre, but you go off. I, I'm into this take. There's a lot better stuff in the Louvre. Fuck the Mona Lisa. Fuck a waterfall. Cool. Uh, but so, like, why does the Mona Lisa have to have burned? Why? Why is what? that a thing? Because it's not because a metaverse. They fucking burned it. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> They burned it in this movie. Yes, it's done. We can move on. Do they ever reference the the first mystery in this film? No, but I but think it was that's not what I, that's, famous. Well, I mean, I guess it was a fame. But he's the idea is that he's solved so many mysteries that his right, reputation. They, they reference like twelve other mysteries. Men. But what happened yeah. at the end of Knives Out was that we didn't burn down the Statue of Liberty. Like, like. You know, I feel yes. <laughs> like in the next movie, someone's going to be like, weren't you on that island where that rich guy destroyed the Mona Lisa? Why didn't you stop that? Like, it's. I, I also feel like y'all are y'all are saying that like, oh, Ryan Johnson just gave himself an impossible task. No, and I don't think it's an impossible task. It, I just think that it's it's generally just going to be like. Like he's either going to have to top himself or he's going to have to pull back. And it just seems like a weird decision to make as an artist. Like, how do you go from like, maybe like a dickish wasp family to the richest people on the planet? I mean, like, you know, what's interesting is that like you, not only one of them. That's also, yes, I know, but like, they're all powerful, (laughs) like uh, the top of their class, you know, it's like in tar when she's a fucking, like you got person <laughs> oh and I God. even didn't even buy that. It just seemed like too much. I, okay. But the, I don't know. I like, I wasn't on our tar episode, Um, but I loved that whole opening. I was like, this motherfucker is still listing her resume off. I love tar. <laughs> I'm not, I just thought that was like a little over the top. Like they try to make her so like, she is this far into her career that she's got an EGOT. Like, no. You I mean, have- I would think it would be interesting if Knives Out, the next Knives Out movie opens with, like, a documentary-style, like, piece about Benoit Blanc. Like, oh, like a Netflix... Like, um- or Yeah, yeah, it could be a Netflix <laughs> part series. Or just, I mean, even Leslie Stahl talking about him on 60 Minutes, I think would be funny enough. Um, you know, and again, like, I, again, like, I don't think that, like... I don't think that we ever need to hear someone reference the burned Mona Lisa in a later yeah. night movie. If they did, it would be a very lazy Easter egg. Um, I'm sure they could pull that off in a much less obnoxious way. But yeah, I mean, he's going to have to top himself. That's He's making the kind of movies now 
where he has to top himself. I mean, he made a fucking Star Wars movie. There's right. nowhere like, else to go but up. Well, well, so I mean, like you know, again, as someone who loves uh, uh, detective mysteries and stuff, like I think of Philip Marlowe. And he never like okay. saved the world or like America. Like, you know, one of the it's things like when Buffy just c- couldn't help but s- save the world, like every episode. And, and it's like the stakes got too big. Right. And I think and I think that, it you know, when when you've got Marta asking herself at the end of a movie, am I going to rescue these poor fucking idiots from themselves, basically, by like giving them money or letting them do stuff or whatever? It's a small scale, but very meaningful question to ask because it's like, what, what is, what, what do I owe them? What do I owe other people? You know, now that I have the power, do I have to help these people who are not only powerless, but helpless? And in this movie, the question is, should I destroy a priceless piece of human art while simultaneously making sure that an emissions free power source is demonized forever. And that's just like a jump. Like that's a huge jump. Uh. And, And the, 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 the questions and the answers that are given, I think are a lot more morally ambiguous than the movie would have us believe. I don't think it's being demonized. I think it's appropriately being shown that it is explosive and this is bad. Like, like it's not demonized. If, if I light a fire and all of a sudden my entire house fucking blows up about like gasoline and natural gas and like wood, like all those things are dangerous if not properly deployed. And this is a possibly world changing power source that is improperly deployed it's like it's like if if it's like if because elon musk bought twitter and we don't like him for it we decided not only to go back to like internal combustion automobiles but also to get rid of catalytic converters it's like maybe there's something worth salvaging here and we should just like hang on a second and also i don't i don't think the statue of liberty (laughs) I, I I don't think that's that's being said. I don't she think literally that says your fuel of the future just burned down the Mona Lisa. Like the point is, well, it also was like a dangerous. Like I mean, it's like compare. It's like a a that's like comparing guns to knives. <laughs> guns out. Yeah, <laughs> that's what he should have yeah. done. The next movie should have yeah. been Guns Out. I'm I'm completely confused by this by this. I don't I, I don't okay, understand so like, your one point. Of, one of the one of the things that could have helped pull us out of our like carbon tailspin was a greater adaptation of nuclear energy. Um but there are a lot of uh, nuclear uh, activists still roaming. Like that's still a big thing. Yes, but because of Chernobyl, which was not great, and Three Mile Island, which was not wonderful, but also not as bad as Chernobyl, we are terrified of nuclear energy one of the 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 who, who is the, we the human race and politicians uh, are we and i thought voters. japan's pretty into it yeah i feel like there's a lot of nuclear plants everywhere well after fukushima though i think there sure was a lot of yeah but it's this question of like it's it is, it is a th- but like when was the last time we in america like built one 
Like, why are we? Still- I, I don't. I don't care about America, though. I care. I I care about the world. I mean, Germany and the world has kind of moved that's on. That's one of the reasons why Germany is still like in the thrall of Russia and their petrochemicals. Like, it's it is a thing that we we should we ought to have adopted much more widely, but we didn't because of valid concerns, but concerns that could have been addressed without just like a full scale like scaling back. And this movie has her, you know, showing the weakness of this thing, which none of these people should have enabled this asshole to get this far with it. But it also just felt weird at this moment in our lives for the villainous master plan of this movie to be, I'm going to create an emissions-free, abundant energy source. That has a fatal flaw. Yeah, I mean, it's like But instead of, like, whistleblowing and being like, let's work on... Fixing some pipes and shit, or making the molecule bigger. But 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 she was trying to whistleblow, and he killed her. Yeah, exactly. He he. She was trying to stop this 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 relentless pursuit in order to just basically push this thing, push this thing, push this thing. And now he's wrangled the scientists. Now he's wrangled the governor, and basically said, "I will pull your funding. I will pull your funding if you don't go along with this." And they're both like, "This is dangerous. This is going to get people killed. This is not the way that science is supposed to work. It's supposed to go through steps and processes." and refinement and miles does not care about that he's so gung-ho because he's put everything in the company and leveraged it to basically say this is either make or break and i'm gonna make it and i'm gonna make it work and i'm gonna invite world leaders here even though he knows that it is potentially very dangerous yeah and that's the hubris of it and like if you want to talk about like i mean I don't think anyone is saying that Teslas shouldn't exist or that electric vehicles shouldn't exist, but they shouldn't, you know, spontaneously combust or, or kill children while on autopilot. So I think that there's like a way of saying like the way the way in which you were going about this, like, I don't know, pursuit is not ultimately yeah. unsafe. And that's what she was trying to do. And like he used his power and you know, his connections to silence her and eventually kill her. So I think that like, yeah, I mean, I, I I don't know if it has the wrong politics about new energy. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it's, it's a, a slander against new energy. I think it's, I think it's, Hey, if, if we don't fully understand this, maybe we don't go crazy and go wide with it. Right. right? But that's like saying if, if I was like, Hey, I'm going to make, a nuclear reactor and you were like oh but like you know we can't just put it in concrete because the radiation will get out and then instead of being like what if we lined it with lead you were like i'm gonna take this nuclear rod and throw it into Times square so that a bunch of people get cancer like it just it it just feels like again the the first Are you movie comparing her kill, uh, destroying the mona lisa with Killing thousands of people in Times Square. Uh, okay, well, if you think about the the fact that because this energy source will probably be completely abandoned because of her decisions, then couldn't you make an argument that she's helped to uh, further escalate and prolong climate change, which kills however many people we want to say it kills? I think like, that's a, a massive stretch. I I, yeah. I, th- I think right these are big jumps. Yeah, I think these I mean, are big yeah. jumps. Yeah. 
Oh, like, Robin, I don't think Robin care. Has I, she doesn't. She doesn't care. Okay. Care like the movie already lost me, and so you know all of these like intellectual pulls and pushes, just you know it didn't matter. To me. <laughs> I, I love that Robin's Robin's just like you know what this movie sucks. So any intelligent conversation <laughs> about that, no, not having it. I don't want to talk well, about it. She's just it. like she hasn't put any thought into it because she wasn't engaged to think about it. But I mean, like that's, that's the, what I'm saying. Right. The end of Brick. You know he. he oh my God! Here we fucking go. I'm trying. I'm trying to explain why this movie to me is a letdown, given the past history with this. Director. It's like saying, "Oh, I had these thoughts about the Fablemans because of like, you know, ET." So what? They're different movies. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand this. All right, then fuck it. I'm not going to talk about it. No, go. No, no. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. No, let me. No, no, no. Let me pocket you, and then you go ahead. You're gonna pocket me. Hawk at you. What the hell? What is that Boston nonsense? Oh, okay. That's anti-Semitic because that's a Yiddish word. First of all, saying the word Boston is not (laughs) (laughs) anti-Semitic. How dare you conflate Boston and Jewishness? No, it's like when you're like hawking at someone. It's like, stop hawking at me. I don't well, know. I'm what hawking that means. at you right now. I've, never heard I, 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 I've heard I've heard the word hawkaloogie. Right, that's but what I, I don't thought. think that's what you want. You is it the same hawk? Is it is it a guttural? Wow, it's the same hawk. Yeah, it's hawkaloogie. All right, whatever. You're gonna like hawk at me. Like stop hawking at me. You're just like in my face. But in this case, I am in your face. I liked how you said context clues after saying, I'm going to hawk at you and then blah. And we were like, what? Right. I wasn't sure if I should wait for the hawking or if the hawking had already happened. The, ha- the, ha- the hawking happened at you. Okay. <laughs> say what you're going to say about Brick so we can all just listen. I can't anymore. I don't even remember what I was going to say. Um, mm. Yeah. I, I just don't agree. I, I think I think clear is fine. I think the the potential is definitely there. I think it needs to go through several more iterations and Miles isn't waiting. And that's the issue. It's not it's not that it's dangerous, it's that Miles doesn't want to wait. That's the that's the dangerous part. Right, so he, he wants to what is how break the paradigm or yeah, he's, he's a fucking point. he's he's a fucking disruptor. I do oh, love Jesus Christ. There are a bunch of things that I liked in this movie. And and, really and, and listen, listen, I've worked for Zillow and I've worked for Redfin. So oh, you know, talk about disruptors. I've, I've, yeah, I've heard this before. So I, I've lived this life. I worked for an education startup called Two You that was talking about disrupting. But what they were really talking about was selling incredibly expensive college degrees to people who probably couldn't afford them, but they didn't care because they were getting all their money from the government who was subsidizing their loans. Anyway, um, can't even remember what I was going to say. I just, the movie for me is, is a problem. And you know, the fact that we're talking about clear and the world and climate change and the, the cultural necessity of the Mona Lisa. <laughs> what, what the, the problem is that like in knives out, that's not a fucking issue because you care about the human beings. And in this movie, I don't, care about Andy or Helen or anyone like I don't give the tiniest sliver of a shit about the humanity of these people and that to me is a failure because the 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 mystery isn't 
particularly mysterious enough for me to care about that either. So like I'm sitting here and I'm loving a bunch of the surface stuff of this movie. Like I said, I like the kind of like, we're going to start at the beginning and then go to the basically like the end, like the like before 15 minutes before the end. And then we're going to go back to the beginning again. We're going to show you a bunch of other stuff like that to me was fun, but it's in service of like a hollow narrative. And like I, I enjoyed some of the performances. I enjoyed some of the jokes like Jeremy Renner's hot sauce. I don't know why that I was just like Jeremy Renner would totally have a hot oh, sauce. Oh, Jeremy Renner. Oh, yeah. my God. That's right. I'm really sad. Yeah. I hope Wait, he's okay. I was about to say, like, is there any news? Because I know that it wasn't, like, great, but I wasn't sure if something happened. Uh, I don't know. I, th- I don't know. I think I he's think, in, still in stable yeah. but critical conditions. So. Yeah, Tyler, what's your, like, you must know. He's. I think he's, sent, like, he's posted, like, a picture from the hospital. Like, he's oh, that's good. thanked people for their thoughts and prayers and such. He looked pretty rough. I think he had some kind of surgery. So, so apparently the snow plow fell on him or he like got under the snow plow somehow it's pretty bad holy shit again damn yeah Yeah, that's but anyway uh jeremy Renner's hot sauce jared Leto's kombucha i liked all that i i really enjoyed i enjoyed the the edit editing decisions made in terms of like you know miles hands the pineapple drink to dave batista's Mm -hmm. character and then like in the movie I saw that. I saw that happen. And I was like, oh, he gave him the drink. Yep. And then I was like, you, uh, you do I, see it in the first scene of this. Yeah. Right. And I couldn't, I couldn't, in in watching it, I couldn't tell if Dave Batista like accidentally grabbed it or Miles gave it to him on purpose. And then later on, Miles was like, oh my God, he picked it up when I set it down. And then they show what he just said. And like my brain was like, I don't remember. I don't think that's right. But I like doubted myself. And the movie like perfectly reflected my mind state and the mind state of its characters. So actually, but, like, I think. Ooh. Oh yeah, I don't know. There's just there were there were things that I liked about this movie. Um it's just it just like it was it was a bunch of like interesting pieces and flourishes that didn't to me ever create a more wholly satisfying experience. So I want to expand on something that you just mentioned which is like the Jeremy Renner hot sauce thing because I think this is exactly the kind of thing that alienated me from the movie. I and I have railed on this before and I know Bill is going to roll his eyes but I find that really specific pop culture references in movies uh date movies in a way that make them potentially unenjoyable even in like a decade um I know what you like, mean, for sure m- my friend Ingu wrote a piece several years ago on how there's an expiration date an expiration date to 30 rock because 30 rock is so specific in its pop culture satire that like even probably Gen Z won't understand a lot of the references. Um, And so, you know, it's like hurry up and watch 30 rock because it's not going to have this like lasting impact. And I, and I kind of see this here now, does every movie have to have some kind of lasting power? You know, no, it's meant to be enjoyed in the moment. And that's, you know, that's its legacy, but it is kind of hard to watch shows and movies that reference a lot of pop culture because you know you're you're hearing you know where the joke is and you like you understand that there is a punchline there but it totally doesn't register for you and I'm giving like the example I think of is like when I watch Golden Girls and they're you know referencing like Charles Nelson Riley and I 
you know, still don't really have a sense of who that is, but there's like a lot of Charles Nelson Riley jokes. (laughs) As someone who who dressed as Charles Nelson Riley three years from Halloween, I find that comment homophobic. (laughs) Sorry. I know, I know. Not giving bros five stars, honestly. Can't believe I've. I came to this. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I have. Uh, Robin's just I've... making fucking enemies with literally everyone. <laughs> but my point is, and like, I'm not saying you shouldn't make those jokes. I'm just saying, like, when the entirety of the humor relies on those like little wink winks and you know that satire, it does become tiresome for me because I just kind of feel like, like who, how much. How, what is the expiration date on this movie? And that's also another reason I struggle with a show like Community because it's so um, self-reflexive in its, I don't know, postmodernistic take on pop culture that it just like crawls deep up inside its own asshole. And I just get really tired of that. It's like, come up with your own joke. You don't have to say a name just so that but- somebody's going to go, ha ha. But notably, you enjoyed the first three seasons. And now don't like it. I don't want to say notably. I would say (laughs) maybe. Famously. There are some standout episodes in the first three seasons. It's fine. You know, it's it's like Breaking Bad. A show I liked in the moment, but I look back and I'm like, eh. Not as good as I remember. So are you one of those people who's like, Better Call Saul is better than Breaking Bad? I wouldn't. I couldn't even get through the first season of Better Call Saul. God damn, Robin, you're fucking Robin, I'm just ha- a hater. Robin, Robin, have you actually rewatched Breaking Bad, or are you just reflexively saying I don't like it when as I much? When I think anymore? about it, I don't like it. Yeah, when I think about it, I'm like, I, I like, what was up with that? Okay. That is huh. an interesting thing that you just... I guess this is the day of bad takes. I don't know. It's Yeah, you're really... The fucking 2023 is starting with fucking fire from, from Robin Barr. Uh, I would love to point out to people who may not know who Charles Nelson Riley is. Um, he was the voice of Killer in All Dogs Go to Heaven. He was <laughs> Jose Chung in... That doesn't help. He was yeah. Jose, he was Jose Chung in the X-Files episode. Jose Chung's from Outer Space. Nope, doesn't help. Well, that's all that I got. So okay, you well, let me step in. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> he was very famous because he was on Match Game. He exactly. Yes. One of the panelists on Match Game, original Broadway production of Hello Dolly. I think for our generation. If you watched SNL in like late 90s, early aughts, there's an incredible when Will Ferrell would do um, his name is blank. I'm blanking on his name. But when he would do the guy who um, hosted Inside the Actor's Studio, they once had Alec Baldwin was hosting and Alec Baldwin came and was Charles Nelson Riley as a guest on Inside the Actor's Studio. And it's an incredible sketch. I recommend it. Um, Who is that guy? What is his name? The inside oh, of the James, studio guy? James, James Lipton. Lipton. James Lipton. Yes. Do you know he was like incredibly fucking old? He was very old. He was like yeah. shockingly you, old. Is that a, and also, I think he was a people? former. Why is that a surprise? He no, looks so old. No, he did. Is he still alive? No, I think he's dead. But he, like, up until like his his demise or whatever, he still looked much younger than he was. And also, he was a former pimp. 
I remember I remember reading about that and I was just like, I'm sorry, he was what? <laughs> he was like, Yes, I was in Paris Stocking. and sold women. Yeah, that actor studio hookup. I mean <laughs> it was like yeah, Florida like, He was almost a hundred when he died. But I, I'm not surprised that he was old. Like, I don't know. He don't look that old. I feel like he seemed that old. I don't even know. <laughs> Okay. Anyway, I another so like I don't know. I I feel like I need to praise this movie a little bit because I'm coming off very negative. But like I yeah, I can I re- do that. I reacted I can do that. in the moment very positively to this movie. I I I laughed at the things I was supposed to laugh at. I laughed at stuff that other people didn't laugh at because they don't know shit about Magnolia. Um, I. I liked the fact that they brought up a couple times, like the whole, I want to do something I mentioned in the same breath as the Mona Lisa and like that paid off at the end. And I'm like, that's clever. That's good writing. But like, I feel that's, that's almost like the weirdest part is I feel like this movie is Ryan Johnson, like showing off how clever and good his writing can be. And I'm like, bro, I've been fucking into your shit for 17 years. You can stop like do better. Like this doesn't need to be, as show off it. You directed a Star War. People know who you are. Like it this really felt like this is my calling card movie. And it's like you've got like six of those now. Like just it's a little strange to me. I don't know. I don't know. It was um, but like again, I tried to be positive and I went negative. Clearly, I didn't like this movie as much as I thought I did. I just there's a lot of there's been a lot of stuff I've been carrying with me that's only coming out now that I'm talking about it. Okay, so I, I want to um, just say one thing about the pop culture references in that it re- <laughs> you I won't just, let this die. No, 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 just like I, Brian I referencing other movies, you're like, I gotta, I gotta, one more thing. Brian, brick, 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 Robin, pop culture, pop culture. So one of the reasons it annoyed me <laughs> is because it kind of felt like Netflix flushed Brian Johnson with like a huge amount of cash, and he was just like. I'm the only thing I know about is celebrities now. Like he's just, he's gotten too big for his own good in some ways. And that has made him lose sight of regular people and regular characters. I don't want to have Robin hawk at me again, but I just remembered what I was going to say about brick. (laughs) Jesus Christ. This podcast. I don't think it's out of fucking line on a movie podcast to talk about the other films in a director's oeuvre to talk about their newest film. That's not like groundbreaking shit in movie criticism. All right, tell us what you're. No, I've forgotten again because. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so in in Brick, the movie ends with Brendan basically turning in this woman who had been his like femme fatale, but like sort of partner in unraveling this whole thing. And what it all came down to was like, you did a bad thing and you've got to pay because that's what I'm doing here. Like my job here, my clear stated goal from the beginning was to take down the people who were responsible for what happened to my ex. And that, that kind of ties into what like Robin's saying, like there's a humanity to that. Like there is a distinctness to that and a, a limited scope to that where it's all very personal and it's very tied to emotion in a way that is, is tiny and like maybe would show up on the local news, but cataclysmic to the people involved. And there is an ambivalence about what the good of that even was at the end. And this movie 
just went like a little too much into like the it's a worldwide thing. We're going to destroy the most famous piece of artwork um, and like rah, rah. We're going to film it in slow motion and we're going to play this song and we're going to have a Spartacus moment. Like it just it 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 betrayed a lot of what I've come to look for in a in a Ryan Johnson movie. And I hope. Unlike what Robin just said, where it's like he doesn't know anything but famous people anymore. I hope that it's not signaling a shift in that way away from him being able to do another movie about like a murder in a high school. Like I hope that it's um that there is still that sense of like every man in there and that it's not just going to keep getting bigger because like you said, like in whatever next Benoit Blanc mystery we get um, where the Mona Lisa will in fact still be burned up. I just don't want to see us try to go bigger. Like I, I would have been fine with, you know, a, a knives out mystery that didn't involve rich people. Like maybe make it a small town thing. Like maybe make it that it's not about like a publishing empire, but maybe it's just like about the soul of a community, you know? And instead we went this way. And I, I want to believe that we can reverse that and go back and get back to, and I know Tyler that you don't know about this, but like some of the earlier movies and their more visceral personal stakes because uh, that's that's what I prefer. And I think that's what's more successful. I think this movie gets a lot of like good rah-rah moments, but those moments ring hollow once you realize that like it's happening to people that are not real and don't exist and you don't care about. I don't know. I, I think that he can do both. I think that he can do big, ridiculous spectacle and which he's done. I mean, that's what Star Wars was. And then... I think that even the first Knives Out was more spectacle than, you know, intimate I mean, and serious. So, know. what? No, no, I don't know. Am I going to get yelled at if I talk about his other movies again? Yes. Okay, I'm going to do it anyway. He's always <laughs> been great about drawing in a lower status character to these other worlds. Brendan and Brick is an outcast. Used to be popular, decided not to be anymore. Now he's like hanging with the cool kids and the rich kids. In Star Wars, you've got Finn from the 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 Force Awakens who was like a nobody but is now very popular and Poe who's like second to third in command of the fleet and Rey and everything. But you also have Rose Tico who's just like a little grease monkey down in the bowels of the ship with her little shocky thing. And it it is through the eyes of those characters that we're able to see everything else and that usually the moral of the movie is delivered. I mean, even in even in Looper, you've got the Loopers who are fabulously wealthy because they're killing people from the future. Um, but the the sole character of the movie is Emily Blunt's character, who is a recovered addict who now works on a farm where she is constantly trying to dig a stump out of the ground. I mean, like, and in this movie, we sort of have that with Helen. But she is. What do you mean, sort of? A, because, because totally Bill, because she is like a caricature. She's not. We like. What do we know about? Like, oh, she's like. Uh, she's a teacher. But we only learn that like halfway into the movie. We only learn she exists halfway to the movie. We, we. Her accent is fucking preposterous, and not in a fun way. Like Benoit Blanc's. It's like she's trying to out Southern him. 
And it's just like, there's not a lot there because we don't know anything about her home life. We don't know if she has friends. We don't know if she has anything going on in her life. She just shows up to be this angelic, generic Southern woman who's a teacher. So we know she's grounded, unlike everyone else in this movie. But that's like not enough. Like she, she, I mean, I think that she's obviously going through something because her sister has just been killed. And, you know, I mean, yeah, I think that like, like her home life was in the room in where her her mentor fucking slit his own throat. Like everyone's going through Anna stuff. Armis. What was that? You just love Ana de Armas. I mean, I do love Ana de Armas. I can't deny that I love Ana de Armas, but like, I don't think that's totally what's going on here. <laughs> I think I think Helen's a great character. And I think I think one of the things one of the best things about this film is that we don't realize that she's actually in danger until halfway through the movie when that turn is revealed. And all of a sudden the stakes have just completely jumped through the roof. Um, and so, you know, we didn't realize that she was in danger. We didn't realize all of this stuff. And I think one of the things that's really smart about this film is that it, it actually benefits from a rewatch in a critical way where all of a sudden you can see how much danger there is. You can see how cautious Craig's character is um, at certain moments because he's trying to make sure that Andy or that Helen doesn't blow her own cover. Um, and she's, you know, constantly getting a little bit too drunk, um, constantly, you know, potentially spoiling this, which, you you know, as Blanc points out, you know, during during that kind of opening scene with him and Helen, this would be very dangerous because the person that killed you is most likely on that island. And if they killed you once, they're very much willing to kill you twice. Uh, I think his line from the first Knives Out is in for a penny, in for a mile or something like that. Um, And so, you know, he kind of reuses that again here where he's like, the person that killed you, most likely on this island, most likely very dangerous. And this is not a good situation to be, you know, toying with a second time. Um, And so I think that's where, like, that's where I love this film and I love that character. And I think one thing I agree that a lot of the other characters are not necessarily likable, even beyond like the first film, which, you know, a lot of the characters are kind of shitheads, but not like, you know, super, super, super unlikable. Although I, I'd still argue that, you know, maybe we can quibble about that. But I think the reason that we're not supposed to like a lot of these people, we're not, is because they all turned on Andy and they all fucking turned their back on her instead of saying exactly what happened, right? There was no reason for them to actually have turned on her except for the money. And the money was a big reason why all of these people are still in touch with each other and all these people are still, you know, doing this whole charade. Um, And I feel like that's the point of the movie is that, as Helen beautifully says, they're all shitheads. Like, these people are not to be trusted and not my friends and weren't Andy's friends, Um, you know, 
which really sucks. And, and also the facts, can I jump into like, they don't sure. know that Helen even exists, which also no. there's, there's right there a lot of subtext about uh, Helen and Andy's relationship as sisters. Mm-hmm. And, and their relationship with her. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that that they don't know that she's got a twin sister, it right? Birdie at some point says like, "Oh yeah, like she mentioned you or you mentioned her." It was one of the, it. Was, uh, Kate mm-hmm. Hudson's performance in this movie is pretty fucking great because like her flightiness is is incredible. Yeah, like, yeah, very good comedic timing. Yeah, because she's like, I, I don't, even, I can't even remember. I've watched the movie twice. I watched it in theaters and then I watched it again. Um for awards consideration. And I, I nominated this movie for a couple of awards. I, I, I gave it an award, I think for best script. I can't remember wow. the rest of it. Cause you really um, seem like you hated the script. Well, no, I, again, I think that, I think that in terms of construction and, and like, you know, witty dialogue and everything, like, I think that it's a very, it is a, it's a well-crafted script, but like I said earlier, it is a show offy, kind of like this is what i'm capable of kind of script but it's like you again you've already proven what you're capable of like you you don't have to make me you know another meal gordon ramsay i'm fully fucking aware that you're a chef like you know you can you can chill out and do it do it a little less ostentatiously um it's it's like uh i think it was roger ebert's review of reservoir dogs was something along the lines of like now that we know that quentin tarantino can make this movie or like now that quentin tarantino has made this movie he needs to make a better one. Like I'm looking forward to his next one because like, it's clear he has a lot of talent, but it's also clear that this is like the movie you make to let people know you can make a movie. And like, mm-hmm. yeah. And and that's kind of how I felt about this, which is weird to feel about, you know, someone's, I don't know, sixth movie or something. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't necessarily like, like that take because I feel like if Jordan Peele never makes a movie better than get out, I'm completely fine with that. If, if all of his movies just rise to that level again, I'm okay with that. Like, and, and to say that about, he was saying that about reservoir dogs, which like a lot. Um, so I, I think, I think reservoir dogs is still known and widely considered like a classic. So I wouldn't be like mad if a director like Tarantino or whoever, like was just like, no, that's, that's my best film. Like, and every movie maybe is at that level or just a little bit low below. Like I I don't know. Sorry, Ebert, but like you don't have to top something that's like already really, really fucking good. I don't think I don't think that's necessarily like what I'm looking for from Ryan Johnson. Like again, like I absolutely adored uh, uh, Looper. I adored Brothers Bloom. I adored um, The Last Jedi and I adored Knives Out. So like if he never tops those those four movies again, I'm okay with it. Like, good on you, man. Make your make your hundred million. Like, (laughs) also, like, I reserve the right to be let down. (laughs) Like, you know, that's your prerogative. Yeah, because if a fucking artist I love makes an inferior product, I'm I'm gonna feel a little bad about it. Like, that's the that is that is literally the art the the audience's relationship with art. You know, you can say like, oh, well, I mean, like, it's not going to be as good as his masterpiece, but like, how can we expect it to be? And like, that is very true. But like, I, I don't, 
I don't know how to otherwise state like, yeah, it's, it, this was so much more of a letdown than I would have uh, expected it to be. And I, I've pulled it up because I don't want to misquote Ebert. The first line of his review of Reservoir Dogs is now that we know Quentin Tarantino can make a movie like Reservoir Dogs, it's time for him to move on and make a better one. Poor Tyler, who just <laughs> well, I was just movie. gonna say. I mean, Tarantino did so. Yeah, no, and I mean that that I think I what what is funny is I'd have to look that one up too. But I think that the the next review of Pulp Fiction when when Ebert talked about it, like said something along the lines of like, "And here we go!" Like, and I was right. Like, it's incredible how right I was. Right. I mean, I think, you know, again, like, as you said, this is Ryan Johnson's sixth movie. He's going to make more. He'll probably make others that are very different from this and very, like, more similar to Brick. I don't know. But, like, it's also fine to, like, dislike someone's movie. I mean, I love Noah Baumbach. I don't love all of his movies. But the ones that I love are not, I don't love them any less because of his worst movie. You know what I mean? And yeah, I mean, and I think that like, obviously he took a, he took a really good deal from Netflix. And I think that um, Mm -hmm. at a time when, you know, we truly did not know if we would have any movie theaters ever again. And he, you know, this fuels the movies that he's not going to be getting a $40 million budget for. You know, this gives him a lot of room to do stuff that, you know, is brand new. It isn't just like, you know, a a franchise film. He's created this franchise and that's great. I think it's interesting. And I think that like it opens itself up to a lot of different ways of telling these stories and these mysteries. And he's already established that if when he continues with the third and if he goes on more, they're not going to look a lot like the first two, which I think is exciting. Um, but also I think it just like, you know, he got a lot of money and he will probably hold on to that money and use it wisely. Cause I think that he is smart in terms of the gigs that he takes mm-hmm. versus projects that he has a lot of passion behind. I, I think one thing that's interesting is the first film was made off a reported budget of 40 million. And this one is the exact same budget. So yeah. even though he took that big, sweet Netflix money, he didn't exactly like go bananas and like, dub, you know, the easy thing would have been for him to double the budget. And and this film certainly looks more expensive than the other one. And yet it, it isn't, I don't, you know, at least reported the quality of the movie. I think that the production design of the first movie far outstrips this one. This one actually looked a little cheap to me. I know exactly what you're talking about because so much was made about the costuming and the set design in that house, Brian, and it and it had uh, an ambiance to it that I didn't get from this movie because it looked very CGI in a way that the other one did not. Correct. Well, again, I think it's, you know, I think that returning to a mansion for a mystery whodunit would be he would get a lot of shit for that. I mean, the first one is already like ripping off Clue left and right. Um, I mean, isn't this just a a larger mansion on an island? Like, yes, exactly. Yeah, but I mean, it's also, I mean, they, you know, they built that. And I'm because I've edited so many production design stories at this point, I can (laughs) tell you every every movie, but they built that glass onion in London and then transported it to Belgrade. 
So, you know, it was an expensive venture for sure. Um, and that was a real glass onion. Yeah. I mean, they built all of that on that. Yes. That was all it constructed. It looks so bad. It's glass. I mean, there's only way you can only like, you know, I mean, glass but I think it's great. Apparently not it cinematic. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought know, like, it was amazing looking. I don't, so. I don't know. I, I really loved that house. I feel like that house was a character. Like we knew the oh, layout I, of I, the house. I, like we I, knew I, that when someone like stepped on a thing or like where they went, what it was going to be like the, it, you, you truly got like a sense of, of the ge- ge- geometry, geography, the geography made of geometry in that house. Sure. I, I don't think that's the point of this house, though. And I don't think that's that's like narratively either. The The narrative of this film is that this guy's a shithead and built this giant fucking mansion that like looks like shit, that it doesn't flow very well, that looks like a nightmare to live in. And, you know, he, he even mentions like to run the place, it would it requires like 40 people and it's like, ah, God, no, like don't know. And like, even how he has his fucking car and Blanc is like, but you're on an Island. And he's like, yeah, but I want it with me. And it's just like, Oh dude, like, come on. You know, you know, he had to fly that fucking thing out there. (laughs) It's just like, yeah. So this, this whole Island is supposed to be like just over the top and ridiculous and not in a good way. Like that, that is the other point is that he has taste, but it's bad taste. Like he has no taste. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's, he got way too much money. He got way too much money and is just dumb and doesn't have any culture and like keeps using all of these like pop culture references like in in ridiculous ways like buys you know the the beatles guitar and you know does all this other shit like has all this pop culture memorabilia sitting in the same area as the fucking mona lisa and you're just like what is going on with this guy's style and he even gets called out for it his lack of taste is also why he has the Mona Lisa. Not to shit yeah. on the Mona Lisa. Wow, but like, the Mona Lisa so, is really getting it this episode. Well, I mean, like, can you name? I mean, it's like that's the only painting a guy like yeah. Miles Lund can name, which is why he yeah. has it. It's like a status thing. It has nothing to do with, like, his actual taste, which is bad. But didn't he say that, like, his mother took him to see it when he was a child? Like, isn't there? There was, like, there was, like, well, a yeah, join the club. Everyone who's gone to Fr- to Paris has probably seen the Mona Lisa from... This is, like, a real Thai no, West I've been twice sight and, and sound I've never seen type it. of thing. No. I have been to Paris twice, have never seen the Mona Lisa. Have you been to you have you, you would, Robin. You would. Robin was, was <laughs> pointedly... Was fucking day? <laughs> I don't know people who like art and shit. I don't know. I wouldn't go see it either, <laughs> but like I would go and like get drunk in a tavern on absinthe and. I fight went to someone. the Dorsey. It's much nicer. I don't know what that means. I don't speak that language. What museum, <laughs> culture, art? Whatever. The I'm only gonna... good movie that takes place in France is Ford v Ferrari. <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> It is a good movie. Um, I, I, I could have also. I think we got to uh, wrap this up. Saving <laughs> Private Ryan. No, um, I, I have a couple of things to say real quick. Um, one of the great things in this film is Dave Batista's phone going off, and every time it chimes, it keeps making the Mona Lisa sliding glass door like like slam shut, and 
during like this height of this argument that they're having, it just keeps going off and off and off uh, after his death. And I just absolutely love that because you think it's going to like, I, I think it was Erica or, or when we were rewatching it the second time, someone was like, someone's going to die by that fucking thing. Like, like someone's We're like, gonna get hand is, yeah, are you, you decapitated or something like something dangerous is going to happen because of that sliding glass door. And, you know, it ends up being kind of a, a red herring in a little bit. Um, we end up, you know, utilizing it later on to actually open is kind of the dramatic uh stakes there but yeah uh i love that sequence um someone that i was listening to on a podcast earlier was talking about um noah segan who's like uh uh ryan johnson uh puts him in all of his movies uh since he was you know uh, first in brick and uh, he's in this as Daryl who just kind of wanders the island and someone referred to him as a Cato Kalen caricature yes. like so. just just yeah. fucking there for no reason whatsoever and you're just like who who is this guy and he's just like I don't know he just hangs out here man and I love that explanation of him that it's kind of a riff on Cato um and the last thing is that apparently Joseph Gordon-Levitt is the voice of the hourly dong, um, which I love. <laughs> that's a that's another great little touch. Um, and apparently he had a cameo in the previous film as like a voice as uh, direct detective hard rock, which I had no idea he was in the first Knives Out. Um, didn't realize that. So he was a voice um, in. Well, I think they both were voices in Star Wars, too, right? I'm sure. I'm sure they were either in stormtrooper gear or something like that. Yeah, which is, Noah was, which is uh, he was like a pilot. Nice. It was was uh, yeah 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 yeah. I remember seeing Noah as a pilot. Yes. And um, fucking Joseph Gordon-Levitt was like the alien who's like they parked on the beach. They're not allowed to do that. Wasn't that him? That was someone. Maybe. Anyway, I'm gonna have to go watch that movie now. On my brand new TCL 55-inch TV. Um, I know. I just got it today. It's pretty great. My daughter loves it. Anyway, um, what was I going to say? I do, again, I'll, I'll say something I liked about this movie. And again, one of the reasons why I um, I, I did nominate it for screenplay, um, adapted screenplay. Um, the The concept of like, this guy using all these fucking words wrong. Uh, it annoyed the shit out of me during the whole movie and I knew it was happening on purpose, but I liked the fact that it wasn't just a character tick, but it was a tell. I, I, I am one of those people. I enjoy in a detective story using every bit of the Buffalo kind of thing where nothing mm. is done mm-hmm. without a reason. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I dug that. I enjoyed, I enjoyed that a lot um, when he, but it's funny. Cause I also, as a person who knows a lot about cults, when he said in breathe, I was like, A, not a word, but B, literally what cult leaders do. You create a new vocabulary so that the people who are around you cannot effectively communicate with the outside world. So I was like, he's either a moron or he's a cult leader or as the movie posits, maybe a little bit of both. 
This this is why uh, Starbucks, when they first got popular, was called a cult because, you know, people would look at the menu and be very confused I, about how yeah, to order things. When, when I went to a Starbucks and they I, I they had a little chit, like a little bookmark that was like, this is how you order at Starbucks. And it's like, you know, you got to do your your size, the milk type, the whatever. And I was like, this is fucking complicated as fuck. I'm going to buy a Coke. <laughs> <laughs> Literally and they're like, would you, would you, I've, I've never been back. Good. <laughs> Goddamn right. Okay. I can't tell you the last time I was at a Starbucks. Wow. Jesus Christ. When was the last time you were at Starbucks, Bill? Uh, not that long ago. Right. Yeah. What about you, Tyler? Uh, last week. There we go. All right. I don't drink hot beverages. You don't have what to is, get them hot. This is a. Uh, first of all, good point, Bill. Second of all, we're learning a lot about Robin this time. I don't drink coffee. I don't drink tea. I'll do the occasional hot cocoa if I'm having a coffee or tea That's with hot. somebody. Yeah, yeah no, she said the like, occasional. You know, it's, it's like this is what I'll get because it's, it's the only thing on the menu I'll drink. I like hot tea. I love hot tea, actually. My parents oh, you're a big tea fun. boy, of I course. I know. I'm a huge tea boy. No, not low tea, tea over here. High tea. <laughs> So much. My tea. husband buys like specialty teas. From okay, I gotta coffee, like tea houses around the country. I gotta talk to your husband then, because we gotta talk you tea. You should. I I drink about a gallon of tea every day. So hot tea or yeah. iced tea? I cold brew my tea. Oh, two, two packets in half a gallon of water, and you just let that steep for about eight to twelve hours, or however long you want, and. uh greatness so i'm a firm believer that good tea does not need any toppings so sugar or whatever the fuck oh yeah i put i put a little bit of honey in it sometimes but generally anyway this has been tea talk here towards the tail end of the we gotta wrap this up i'm hungry i am yeah i i guess i am too i gotta eat an apple or something just have your husband feed you like a little birdie what are you talking about robin no, he's not allowed in here when I'm recording. You, 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 can't you can break that role. The, the <laughs> he can't handle it. <laughs> anyway, um, so we've we've had a lot to talk about. Hopefully this has been an engaging and fun discussion for people listening at home. Uh, Tyler, would you like to make a final pronouncement before we see ourselves out? Uh, a final what? I'm sorry. You pronouncement. Just, just pronouncement? Uh, I don't know. Fun, silly, dumb, entertaining. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Yeah, you know what's and funny I is that like Kate I, dress. I that, can't. That, uh, you know, Kate Hudson's dress was fun. I I can't deny fun, silly, dumb. Like that's, you know, all that's true. I just I think I walked in expecting a little more, and I've, I've become disillusioned throughout the course of this two hour episode. Um, maybe maybe three Ryan Johnson, three mediocre Ryan Johnson follow ups later, you'll come back to. <laughs> oh man! Like, if uh, knew what, how bad it was going to get. The good the good times we had. <laughs> no, I I still have faith in him. This isn't like when I watched Killing of a Sacred Deer after the Lobster, and I was like, oh, maybe I was wrong. <laughs> Like I'm, I'm positive Ryan Johnson will, in 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 my eyes, bounce back from this and get back to not just providing a frothy, kind of like whatever time at the movies, but will actually uh, deliver deliver something a little more is what I'm used to. So I'm excited for that. But anyway, that's it for today. Robin Barr, what are we talking about next time? Avatar two. Oh fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> 
I wonder candy if top it. Uh. Maybe I'll turn you. Like I turned you this time from a lover to a hater. Well, like Maybe I, I'll go I from think a hater to a lover. I just came off more negative because I felt like I needed to really explicate why I felt that this was lesser Ryan Johnson. There's a part of me where I'm wondering, like, is the Knives Out franchise to Ryan Johnson what the Avatar franchise is to James Cameron? Like, are both of these men going to die making only these movies? That's a question you, for next week. Yeah. We'll would you say Knives Out is is not better than Avatar? Oh, Knives Out's like infinitely better than Avatar. Yes. So Avatar is a fucking what kind of knife. comparison? Well, no, what, what I was saying, Bill, is like, you know how James Cameron's like, I never need to make another movie. Avatar is a world in which I could tell every story I want to tell. I don't know what James uh, Cameron sounds like. Um, I don't, I don't think that's what if, he said. I'm, he, we'll talk about it next week. But I'm wondering if Ryan Johnson is feeling similarly inclined to be like, look, if I could keep making movies with fun old Daniel Craig all the time, why would I ever do anything else? Especially if you're, think, if he's going to be able to like bend genres, like that'll be interesting. I'm I'm curious. I'm I am still on board to see what happens next time. It'd be cool if like he made like a a legit like almost like horror movie inflected, you know, because a detective story, as long as there's a detective in it, can be anything you want it to be. So we'll he see can. what happens. Yeah, yeah. we'll see what he does. So that's it for today. I trust him. I trust him as well. Uh, that's it for today. Again, find us on Twitter at Film State Show, Facebook the Film State Show. Go to mubi.com slash film stage in order to take advantage of a great offer of 30 days of free cinema from Mubi, the curated streaming service that is dedicated to elevating great cinema. Also, don't forget to go to patreon.com slash the film stage show to give us your money. You all know what we're talking about next week. It's Avatar 2, The Way of Water. Can't wait. Super thrilled to finally be talking about that. Who's going to be our guest on that episode? Uh, Dan. Oh, oh, shit. DJ? Go off. Yeah. DJ Mecca. All right. All right. All right. Well, let's clear out a good four hours for that episode. Um, We're going to take it to midnight. Anyway, that's all for today. Let's tell the fine people at home where you can be found between now and the next time that we're shouting incoherently in their ears. Tyler Coates. Where can people find you online? Oh, at uh, Twitter, I'm on Twitter at Tyler Coates and Instagram at Tyler Coates. And then also at thehollywoodreporter.com. Nice. Uh, you're a man after my own heart. <laughs> I don't have like no clever names or nothing. It's just like, there it is, my actual last name. All right. Speaking of clever motherfuckers, Bill Graham, where can people find your work online? <laughs> Thank you, because I have clever names because my name is fucking famous, so I couldn't <laughs> use my name. So this is great. Uh, my Twitter handle is at CableVFG um, because that was my aim handle when I was, you know, 12 years old. So I just keep reusing it because it's available everywhere. So um, that's also my email if for whatever reason you want to email me. Uh, but I have at Billstagram for my Instagram handle. Um, so that's always fun. Uh, figure out how to spell it. Um, and yeah, you can find me on the Slack channel, mixing it up, um, talking about sports, talking about TV, talking about severance. And uh, we're watching White Lotus, catching up on that. We're in the middle of season two right now. So yeah. Uh, I I can't get enough of Talk Jennifer about Coolidge. Disappointing follow-ups to better things. Stop. Oh. Season two. Don't Jesus. Spoil okay. Him. I'm not going to spoil him. I'm just saying. 
But like from the first episode, I knew it was going to be less. So if you're digging it, then I have my problem. Um, all right. Cool. Awesome. Robin Barr. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at R-O-B-Y-N-B-A-H-R. And you can also sometimes find my writing at The Hollywood Reporter. Thank you, Tyler. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let us know how that, that conversation you all have about uh, Robin's next assignment goes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ooh, real quick, real quick. I want to mention something. Uh, RIP to Ken Block. He is a relatively famous uh, auto driver that uh, has these like Jim Connor uh, drifting videos that were very popular. Uh, I think he's like the co creator of uh, DC Shoes as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was he was big on YouTube, um, and he sadly passed away in a snowmobile accident. So him and Jeremy Renner People need to stay, stay the fuck out of the yeah. snow. It's crazy. It's dangerous. So. Anyways, is it my turn or were people saying things? Yeah, you go for it. Okay, great. Um, again, uh, like I said, man after Tyler's heart. I am on everything: Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Letterboxd. At Brian J. Rowan. Uh, personal site, brianjrowan.com. Uh, there's nothing there. Don't bother going there. Go to inkwellwhiskey.com to learn about the booze that I make. And of course, go to thefilmstage.com to see my writing that's there and every episode of this here podcast. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us and tune in next time. Like